Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, the podcast where we review and discuss movies, trailers, TV shows, and everything else pop culture. Today we'll be taking a look at Marvel's latest film, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. My name is Ivan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and Wheel of Unfortunate, Emmett. Yeah, I never, I got the, I got the hang of spinning, but it, it's the crosswords that I really suffer at. I'm more of a, was it Jeopardy the Price? Guy. Yeah, Je- Jeopardy too. Jeopardy's up there. You're, you're a smart guy. You're Jeopardy. Um, the Price <laughs> is Right is another option. Not named The Price. I don't know what that show is. The Price, The Praise is Right. I, I, I love that <laughs> show. The Appraisal is Right. Uh, yeah, no. Out of those shows, I would have loved to be on The Price is Right. You always just do $1 over or just go with $1. Super simple. I would have done uh, Springer when he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd love I, to have been on Jerry. I could see you on Judge Joe Brown. <laughs> okay, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Okay, you yeah. got great Judge Joe Brown energy. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good cardio getting away from the Jerry Springer cameras, too. Like, <laughs> like no, but like after Springer, like you want to sue Springer or something like that. Oh. <laughs> R.I.P. Springer, by the way. Yeah. Were you, ever in, were you actually into his show, or? You know what's funny? I actually interned for his show for like maybe three weeks. What? While I was in film school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me Jeez. and a friend of mine, uh, Lauren. Uh, I forgot her name. It's something with the last name. It's something with a. You don't no no last names here. No last names. We don't okay. Do well, me, me and my friend Lauren back in uh, when we were both at the Art Institute of New York. Uh, we had signed up for different internship opportunities, and she had brought up the uh, opportunity for uh, Jerry. And we uh, we we both got into it, and I think what ended up happening is somebody else was chosen before me, but then I had to sub in for them because they weren't able to like make the program or something. But I was only there for three weeks. We were only there for like a couple of different episodes, but uh, it was definitely a fun experience. Uh, no real fun stories to tell <laughs> from it, to be honest. But hey, they had a great snacks uh, snack bar. So, oh, I love a good snack bar. Heck yeah, me too. I'm talking PB and J's, bagels. That and the Welch's fruit snacks. Oh, yes. for days. Yogurt know? covered? Uh, no, not those. Unfortunately, was yogurt That's... covered out back then? I don't think That's so. A... I thought that That's was a like new a new thing. That was like a 2016, 2017-ish yeah, thing. Circa. Yeah. Sure. Which I definitely wasn't at Jerry by then. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry wouldn't go for the yogurt covered anyway. Let's let's no, face it. I don't think so either. Yeah. Um. Hey, man. It's been a while since we've talked. I know. We, we last did Mando, and times have been changing. Yeah. I can barely breathe now. Which I know is all of East Coast has been engulfed by... Canadian fires. Yeah, it's for, red tint. For once, it's not U.S.'s fault. <laughs> <laughs> I would think the smell would be more maple syrupy, though. To be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, too soon. It still smells. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary out there. But um, have you been getting into anything? Any shows or movies? I went back and rewatched Breaking Bad yesterday. Uh, Whoa! Because because of what all we of were it going through. in one day. No, no, not all of it. I only saw a couple uh, episodes, mainly the the end of the Gus Fring storyline. Love that Which line. is great. 
Love it. Jo- love Giancarlo Esposito. But I thought it was cool because, you know, given that we were living in the orange slash red tinted world, why not pop in the show that uses the exact same filter? You know, like that's just Arizona for you. Or Mexico, depending on who you're <laughs> talking to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I am due for a good Breaking Bad rewatch. I did. Uh, I, I Saul was added to Netflix. I don't know when, but I finally caught that it was. The last season's not as good as the rest. No, it's definitely like one of the weaker points of it. But I think for the most part, the show at least stayed like consistent from like a writing standpoint, right? Like I feel like yeah. it wasn't. It, it never felt like it dipped way too below uh, what we were doing at that point. Yeah, I feel like half of the last season was really good, but then when they start going into like his future life in black and white, like I don't know, it was kind of it was it was too artsy for me. So I, way I too much. Yeah. It. That's a that's a great rewatch. Anything new? Um, no, I mean I, I've been keeping up with Ted Lasso up until the last uh, yeah last week, but uh, new wise, not really too much going on. I think uh, I I am aiming to see uh, the rest of Reacher, which I haven't finished, mm. so that's on my plate next. And then are you a I'm, Jack Bryan fan too? I have seen Jack Ryan, yeah, yeah. They just dropped the trailer for the uh, for the next season as well. I don't think I'm fully caught up on on Jack Ryan either, though. I got I got to go back and take a look because there's some shows that I kind of dropped over the summer and the fall just to kind of get back into other things. But I definitely do need to circle back to those. Yeah, both those shows to me are like I can't stop watching it once I've started because it's you need to know how it gets resolved. Um, both of those are really good. Yeah, Lasso was on my wall. Man, I almost feel like we could do an entire episode on it because it's so every season gets better, and it and it kind of stinks that this is probably the last season of the way that we know it. Like it might come back in another way, but at least what we what we what did it start at it? You know, it's done. I saw some people upset about certain like relationships and all that, but I thought it ended perfectly the way that it, that, that, that not the way that I was expecting it necessarily, but I think the way that it naturally flowed, they didn't force anything. You know, it just kind of, it felt like a natural finish for the show. I am going to yeah, miss it, was, it though. If this is the end, like, it Oh, absolutely. It. I mean, it was one of those episodes where it was like, they did like three or four different goodbyes where it, it really softened the blow of like, okay, this is over. Um, I, I, I didn't look into the fan critiques, but I know exactly what relationship stuff you're talking about. And I didn't have a problem with it. Like you don't have to end up dating someone because you had dated them before. Like you can evolve and be like, Oh, I'm more mature than that. And I have different goals. So I, I feel like some fans were in it for, this is a rom-com more than this is like, satire yeah and i think they might have caught caught too caught up with it like i think the ted and rebecca relationship i always thought was great like not as a romantic interest right but i always thought like it was a very platonic thing and we don't really get that all that much in shows it's always like will they won't they and then here's a love triangle in season two and then here's like quadru- like a square i guess <laughs> for season three and on and it gets more complicated and this show never felt like it needed to do that yeah, it never gave in to that. I mean, it had elements of that for sure with Keely and Roy and um, Jamie, but it, it didn't revolve around that like a lot of those shows 
rely on. So I think that's why this was so good. And especially since like this season, I feel like every episode had somebody giving a big speech that was really moving, directed at a different audience every time. And I, and I don't think a lot of shows achieve that. My one gripe about this season, and it's the only thing I have to complain about, is I feel gripe like we, we should have gotten a little bit more on the Nate storyline. I feel like that one resolved itself a little bit too conveniently. I was kind of expecting like a, a peak kind of villain point for him. Uh, but I, I, was, I was still I was satisfied. Okay with that. Yeah, I, I think ultimately, I, yeah, but I, I feel like they should have dug a little bit deeper there. I don't know. Like, that's just my... Yeah, I mean, if they had another episode, I th- I could see them doing that. Um, but I was okay with it because, like, his character was entirely, he's, you know, this leech of whatever is in charge of his life. So when he was with Ted, he was a good guy. And then when he went to Rupert, he was a bad guy. And then when he got Jade, he became a good guy, like, redeemable again. And then he was fully like, all right, let me surround myself with good people. Um, and I think those people exist in the real world, so... I'm sure somebody can, somebody can latch onto that, Ivan. Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, whoa. I'm not calling you a Nate. I'm not. Which character <laughs> were you were you calling yourself again? I don't think I was calling myself anything, but you were definitely a Coach Beard. I'm, a, I'm a, a Beard guy. guy. Yeah. Or I could be a I could be a Roy. <laughs> Roy. <laughs> Just like always angry, really quiet. Nah. <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd identify with Roy too. I don't know what character I would be, honestly. I'd probably be a Leslie, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> when he starts fake vomiting. No, I see you as... Um, hmm, this is tough. I could see you as the as Trent Krim. Trent Krim? Independent. I could, I could kind of see it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, hyper-observant. You More know what you like, though. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think he was he was right in your lane of flamboyancy. <laughs> That's true. He, he he's like he was very silent too up until like the last season. I feel like they really well, he only got like one one line an episode at most, yeah. and then this last season he really was uh, the narrator for sure. I also wish we got more of the doctor too, which we did get a little bit of her at the end, but and she was kind of mentioned that... here and there. I thought her filming, like, her scenes were hilarious because, like, every once in a while I can detach myself. I, I'm not in the industry, so yeah. I don't see a show as, like, oh, this is how they produced this and this is how they, uh, you know, edited this and worked this score in. But watching her scenes, it was so apparent that she was alone that day and just filmed her, at, like, scenes in, like, maybe an hour <laughs> Was it COVID, maybe? <laughs> uh, probably, because it was literally just her in a hotel room watching the game. Like, <laughs> it was so funny the way that that worked out. But um, yeah, no, she was a great character, especially like the interaction with Ted. Yeah, I wish we got more of that this season. But again, I feel like Ted Lasso as a, as a whole kind of gave us enough of things, you know. So yeah. if it doesn't come back, I'm satisfied with where it left off. It's just I wish like this kind of show i feel like i i just want to see more yeah and i hate to say that like a show is so important for everyone to watch but it really is like give you an opportunity to see what real life looks like for people living 
different situations than what you experience. And I feel like a, a lot of the people in our country that should be watching it probably aren't. I think I've never seen a show so considerate, I guess, is the kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. It's and like it, it's you just tell, like, the writers are, like, are people experiencing that? I don't know. It, it felt like a labor of love. And it's not always, you know, kind of prevalent when you're watching something. As much as it is here. Yeah, totally agree. Maybe we don't need to do an episode. We just did five minutes on it. We just unpacked a lot here. <laughs> I will say, since we do all things pop culture... Really important event happening tomorrow at 2 a.m. We're recording this on 6-8. New Fortnite season. Are you buying the Battle Pass for The Wilds? Season 4. No, Chapter 4, Season 3. Something like that. Chapter X, Season XYZ. <laughs> You're an OG guy. I'm kind of an OG guy. I kind of got on a little bit late on the on the original front. Um, Yeah, I... Given that I am unable to unsubscribe myself from the Fortnite Teams thing <laughs> on Switch, and I I keep getting charged for it without being able you're to a answer. member. <laughs> yeah, I'm a member, <laughs> dude. You you know what it was? I wanted that Loki skin when they first introduced the the thing, and so I was like, all right, I'll just unsubscribe later, and I just keep forgetting to. So yeah, I mean, I, I'll have the pass for sure. <laughs> I just want yeah, Optimus Prime. Yeah, I saw that that uh, leak. I don't know how big that skin's gonna be. There's some big ones. I, I don't. I need a small hitbox. That's what I need. You know. <laughs> That's what I, I didn't get. I thought when they said Optimus Prime was coming, I'm like, oh, like on the map somewhere, like or the truck you can get into can transform into Optimus Prime, and you could hire him. That'd as be a, sick. That would be amazing. And kind of like a mech suit, right? In the in the way. They've had that before. Yeah. Remember that? Remember that thing? Yeah. That was like a two-seater mech suit that just absolutely destroyed everything. <laughs> that was a hilarious time in Fortnite's history. I want copters back, man. No, those were terrible. I want planes were so hard to back. fly. I, I did not like the planes. Yeah. You, you, you know what's up though? Like I, I do feel like it's funny because I think Fortnite was one of those games that I didn't think I was gonna get into a lot at all. And then, like, it's just, they've done just enough to stay innovative, to catch my interest, that I find myself going back to it. It's the one thing I haven't really put away for too long of a time. It's such a game changer. Like, literally. Like, no other game evolve, like is constantly evolving. And when we think it's at a point where it's like, this is peak fun, they'll totally do, like, a, a whole new revision. It's the Sunny D vodka seltzer of video games. <laughs> you know, in many it's ways. Something old with something new. <laughs> yeah. And like you just you don't know what it is, it shouldn't work, but it does. And oddly enough, you just before you know it, you've bought three cases and now you don't know what to do. And now you're you you got a ton of vitamin C in you. <laughs> yeah. And and vitamin vodka. Before we leave the walls, though, I do want to say Transformers, The Flash, Indiana Jones, the Barbie movie. There's a lot coming. I know. <laughs> Have you you've seen most of these, though, right? Uh, the Flash, yes. Indiana Jones, yes. Not seen Transformers yet. Now, 
help me out here with Indiana Jones. If let's say, you know, this guy named Schmemet hasn't seen any Indiana Jones movies, is he still going to be fine to see this one? Um, honestly, yes. But I think I think you'll probably obviously you'll get more enjoyment out of it if you're familiar with at least the first three movies. I Schmemet, sorry, not I. Schmemet has to watch three movies. He doesn't to have to. He doesn't have to, but he will. He will be. I think he will get most of the obscure references if he does. Like I, I think right, it's, I'm it's, out. It's good I mean, enough Shmemet, to stand on Schmemet's out. <laughs> if Schmemet loves um, Harrison Ford, I think he'll enjoy this movie. If he does not, and he's dependent on the universe, then he might want to skip this one. Harrison Ford is an interesting person to me, and to, and to Schmemet. Um, I can't keep this up. Shmemet is me, by the way. Uh, he's an interesting actor because I like him in Star Wars. I loved him in Shrinking. I don't love his other projects. No Blade Runner. You're not a fan of Blade Runner. You're not a fan of um, Mosquito Coast. Yeah, you can keep going if you want. That's all I got. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, what was that one into the wild or something like that? Was that him? The call of the wild or something? Yeah, he was with a his, like animated dog. Oh wait 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 okay no when you said into the wild I'm thinking of that movie from the 90s with that yeah that was a great movie where half the cast was the 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 cast of uh, Home Improvement I think <laughs> right it was the kids from Home Improvement or something and they were like <laughs> lost out in the wilderness or something or at least one of the kids from Home Improvement no you're thinking of a different thing. But go ahead. <laughs> I think that's what it was. was. I don't know. Was, no, his was Call of the Wild. We're so far off track. How do we pull back out of this one? <laughs> well, here's how we pull out of it. <laughs> let's talk about into Across the Spider-Verse here. Yeah, let's just get into our universe of, of Marvel by talking about other Spider-Verses. Oh. Let's run so, through some stats real quick. Yeah, hit me. Opening opening weekend, 120, almost 121 mil domestic. 96 on Rotten Tomatoes, and 86 on Metacritic. Big. That's all the stats I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is far above what I think. What was it? 65, maybe 70 million was the opening weekend for the first movie. So to see a jump from that to 120 is crazy also Mm -hmm. the fact that this is an animated movie which by the way this is a great year for animated movies in general um but this is like let's be real the the last one won an oscar for best animated picture beating out disney and i think dreamworks in the same year this one's got to be on track to do the same thing yeah the last one had a 97 rotten tomato score so basically the same thing the the other thing too about this film, like I think, and and kind of you know we we'll, we'll probably get into this I think as we talk about the movie itself, but there's a sense here on the West that animation equals like kids movies, and like you know kid centric films, and it's something that the East doesn't have, right? Like Japan does regular, um, like really loaded anime movies. They have dramas and anime and all this. And I think animation has been like 
kind of lack you know it's been lacked and not like respected on here on the uh, in, in our shores basically and these movies in particular have highlighted some of the strengths of telling stories in this format that i think i hope kind of gain more attention from adult eyes and people stop kind of sleeping on these because it, it, it's it's definitely a very viable market look at super mario and now look at this like the 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 money that's coming in is incredibly big, especially post-COVID. Like, these aren't numbers that are like, oh, it's impressive for a COVID era. No, this is impressive for pre-COVID, too. It's it's smashing records, and I think that, you know, I, I hope animation gets more respect just because of this kind of growing um, interest in it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I think most of Western culture, U.S. specifically, we only pay attention to, like, Pixar movies as adults. Um, and adults get to choose what children watch typically, right? So I feel like a lot gets overlooked, and this one in particular, too, where it's, you know, I've talked to some people that are like, I don't know, I'll watch some Marvel movies, but it's like an animated movie, and I'm, I'm not really into it, without giving it a try. It's like, these are spectacular, and without seeing a third one, I think we're in contention of, like, top, trilogies of all time yeah i agree and i think the the reason why the the number is so high like a lot of the audience according to uh some of the stats with uh we see out of um the there's a movie aggregator that the like the guys that go around like asking people in particular but i saw that uh i saw their report over the weekend and it was talking about how there was a very young audience going out to see this movie and I, and the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, growing up, like anime had a little bit of a placeholder here, a little bit, like it had its fans. But nowadays, I feel like, especially like the Gen Z folks, that kind of skyrocketed. And so I feel, I like, feel like, yeah, I feel like Netflix has really helped that out by putting some yeah. anime on there. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'll be honest, I haven't really given a lot of it a shot, just because it tends to be a little bit much for me <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but there's stuff that's been really good. Like, the Godzilla animated stuff that they've done recently has been really good. Like, this is just a lot that I feel like sometimes we we kind of dismiss animation as a whole, but uh, it yeah. makes sense that, especially, like, the younger generation is kind of driving this uh, really big interest in animation, whereas I think before they weren't really paying them their due. No, you're absolutely right. Um, why don't we get into just general thoughts about this movie specifically? not just the industry do you have uh do you want to kick things off or should i yeah um i thought this was a good movie honestly like i i'm having trouble picking this one or the last one as my favorite in my like second spot for favorite spider-man movies like in as a whole like i'm not just talking about animation um what's your first doc ock of toby Maguire? <laughs> it's gotta be <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's still spider-man 2 for me and then like I'll have Across the Spider-Verse and then I'll have like No Way Home. Then we get into um, it, the, the last one, which was Into the Spider-Verse, I think. Because I really enjoyed this movie, though. Like, from the beginning to the end, I know this is a movie that got split into two parts, technically. But the fact that it felt like a complete story of its own, and I, I think it helped the way that we started this whole thing in the beginning. Um, it to me, did not feel like like I was watching that last Hunger Games set of movies where it felt like very evident that this movie got split into two parts. 
this felt like a story up on its own. And it reminded me a lot of like the Empire Strikes Back in terms of tone. It was fun. It was funny, but it wasn't corny or like overbearing. It wasn't, I didn't find it to be too preachy. And yet it really kind of put into the forefront social issues, I think, in the right way and in like the best way to kind of communicate those to, to the audience. I am struggling to find a fault with this movie besides maybe pacing here and there. Like, I think maybe it might have been 10 minutes too long. But again, that's like a very nitpicky thing to, to point out, you know. So for the most part, I loved it. I thought I thought it was great. Yeah, those those can be really nitpicky because like 10 minutes too long in some aspects, but then also like 10 minutes too short in other aspects for sure. Um, but I, no, I totally agree. And like me personally, when I am talking about trilogies, I typically will say the first one is the best of the set, like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Iron Man. You know, like the first one typically is is the best, in my opinion. Um, But this one is, you know, just as good as the 2018, if not better. And that's, you know, that's really hard to say because the first one, like we said before, got a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. This got 96. Like these are heavyweight movies. For sure, I just love everything about these, uh, the, about these movies. You know, like how it looks like it's a comic book on the screen. The the casting, the voice acting, actually feels right. Like nobody feels forced into their role. I think like the attention on detail of like actually having a captivating plot is so important that like rewatching some of these other Marvel movies like Quantumania, like that just got added to Disney, like it's got such a terrible plot, but they're relying on these heavyweight actors to carry it. Whereas this like, no, why don't we come up with a really good plot? Because that's what comic books are. It's all about, you know, hero versus villain and how we get there. Um, And I don't say this usually with most Marvel movies, but this is, this franchise is like the one that makes me wish I was a comic book reader where not in the sense that like oh i'm missing stuff because i'm not i haven't read the every spider-man issue but more like when they introduce a character they throw that comic book on the screen as like here's the one like you should go read it like it's like a cool book club almost like where it recommends like go check this out if you're into this character and it makes so a good use of that entire library like in the way that Guardians kind of does too, and on the in the live action space, but obviously with animation, like you can get a lot more quirky or crazy, and I think it's there's less constraints on it. Yeah, and I don't. I would hate to compare this to like the Avengers and stuff like that, but like the Avengers is right, like a lucid concept of it's a gathering of heroes, usually centered around like Captain America leading them, but the what the group that we got we stuck with for like what was like 10 plus years where if you didn't like any of like uh, any of the center cast, you were kind of with them until like civil war or Ultron. Like you were, you were with uh, like black widow and Hawkeye for a while. And it's like, there were other Avengers in the comic books that got left out. This feels like everybody gets a moment in the spotlight. Nobody's the star except for miles and Gwen. I think if you read Spider-Man 
or have had any knowledge of Spider-Man comics, cartoons, all of that. I saw cartoon versions of Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man from the 90s is there during that chase sequence. The uh, What was the other one? The one that was, like, super popular after the Sony movies. Spectacular Spider-Man also got a great cameo there. there like, any version of Spider-Man was there. I didn't see Japanese Spider-Man, though. It would have been cool to see him with his little, like, mech suit thing. Um, but yeah, it, th- there's so many call-outs, tributes, all that, and none of it felt, I think, overwhelming, but it also is a reminder of how rich the Spider-Man character is from like a history perspective, in a way that I think no other Marvel character is. Like, I, I can't see a multiverse of Captain America's and have it keep my interest, you know, like, I, I think it's just not, he's just not that type of character, that, that's more of a mantle than anything else. And I think Spider-Man as a whole has been a very, very, has had a very interesting um, history from the comic books and to animation, all that. Yeah, I feel like we're going to enter into this spoilers if people haven't seen it. So I do want to move into that because I feel like we are about to start talking about like canon events and stuff like that. Um, but before we get into specific character scenes and plots. I think we're both overall like a highly recommend go see this in theaters, right? Definitely go see it and go see it as quick as you can <laughs> before they take it out of like IMAX screens and all that. Careful what timing you go to though. Cause I had one where I had a bunch of kids in mind and it kind of ruined the experience with like, I'm pretty sure they went with a babysitter who had no control over them. <laughs> so yeah. It's it's one of these movies that kind of, like a uh, Super Mario Bros. where it totally like like walks that line of is this an adult? Is it a kid? It's kind of both. Your audience might be loud. At least you didn't get seated next to teenagers the way that my Ant Man the Wasp Quantumania experiences was. Because if there's anyone that's like the worst to go see, even more so than babies, it's 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 teenagers. It's it's definitely teenagers. Oh, to be young. All right, so let's get into uh, some of the specific stuff. So if you haven't seen it and you plan to and don't want to hear this, go ahead and hit pause and come on back later. All right, so is there anyone particular you want to start with or any plot points? Yeah, Peter Parked Car was my favorite version of Spider-Man <laughs> that we saw. <laughs> Not the Andy Samberg one? No, it was Peter Parked Car as a little tank. <laughs> that was so good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I laughed out loud, but nobody else did around me. I was like, what is wrong with this crowd? Like, that's a hilarious joke. <laughs> the, honestly, yeah. the standout for me... Like the one I was looking forward to the most to see, like, like in on the screen was Oscar Isaac's uh, Spider Man 299. Yeah. yeah, which I had a little bit of familiarity with because there was a um, there was a huge push for like futuristic stuff in the late 90s in, in the comic book realm. And Spider Man 2099 was one of those characters that, uh, like, I knew just enough about him, but I had no idea he was a vampire, number one. <laughs> um, but all I knew is that he lived in the future. He's not a descendant of Peter Parker, but he's somehow like gave himself spider powers by studying history or something. So I was it was great to see him uh, be brought to life on the screen in such in such a way. And I thought Oscar Isaac killed it in the 
in terms of the voice performance. And that also gave us a character that was not necessarily an antagonist, but also like definitely like the the conflict starter for the for the plot, right? Uh, very nuanced, very cool. If we ever see it in live action, I hope it's Oscar Isaac doing it, even though he's already in the MCU as Moon Knight. But yeah, you know what's really interesting is that there's so many two-time Marvel casts in this movie where they've already done the actual live action character, and now they're just throwing their voice into this. So it's very cool to see. Um, I yeah, I would love to start with uh, Miguel O'Hara because I think I totally agree that Oscar Isaac killed it with the voice overlay onto it. The only thing I would have liked is a little bit better of a background story. Not that they skipped him because they did do some. It just wasn't enough to be like, well, how did you get your powers? Because you're so different than everyone else. Unless like you want to throw in that line of like, let's do this one more time. I was bit by a radioactive spider. Like you can keep it the same if you want, but if you're if you're presenting every new Spider-Man with that same lead in. I would have liked that for him. I almost think it was done intentionally just because everybody else deliberately got that moment to like kind of give us a little bit more backstory. And we got a little bit with him. Yeah, they did do that line. I I don't want to say like they didn't do that line specifically. And that was the problem. It was more like, well, how are you a vampire? And like, what makes you different? Like, I, I get what makes Miles different than Peter B. Parker or Gwen. Like, I but I want to know about Miguel because it sounds like he went to a different multiverse and now he's preaching that like, you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. He was definitely coming off as very hypocritical, but also like, I don't know. I have a feeling that in part two of this, we're, we're going to delve into him a little bit more because it felt like they kind of went out of their way to give everybody a backstory, but then Miguel were kind of like, you know, holding back on, I'm hoping that's the case. I mean, I don't know. I might be reading too much into it, but no, they yeah, definitely I, shrouded I, him intentionally where they want him to appear as this. He is the leader. He's super strong. He's really smart. Everyone else has bought into what he's selling. So we should, but he do, he goes against what miles is wanting. So do we buy in or not buy in? Like, and that's the beauty of this cliffhanger. I almost thought he had like some, or maybe this is just the way the performance was, but I, I thought he had like some ulterior motive this the whole time. I was like, what is, what's, what's his deal? What's he trying to, like, why, I guess is the whole uh, thing there. But it also like, there's a couple of things that didn't make sense to me from the plot perspective of like, if, uh, if Spider-Man India, right, which is apparently the version that they're calling him. <laughs> Here, um, if his universe is getting destroyed because of the the uh, canon can- event, yeah, because yeah. the canon event being interfered with, then we kind of conveniently pull away from that and just don't revisit that that particular situation for the rest of the movie. Uh, up until the end, we get that little bit where he's joining up with Gwen, but I don't know. It just it had me think that maybe he doesn't understand the full like canon and the way that that kind of flows out i don't know it, it yeah. felt a bit unfinished in terms of like the, the motivation there yeah and i think there is room for that to be like something learned in the in the next movie i'm okay that they didn't extend this by 10 minutes to accommodate that uh element but you're right because miguel's world 
got destroyed because he created a canon event and didn't have the means to, you know, contain it. Now, I don't know how to say, like, puppet, puppeteer. <laughs> uh, um, the India Deadpool. Oh, uh, India version. Yeah, like, he, his world is under a canon event, but they seem equipped to handle that. So they right. must have come across this many times where they've built out the tech to stop those events. So yeah, like what's what's the problem with saving a life here or there? I also thought it was really cool to to connect that to that whole to Miles's mom and the whole point of like that's a little speech she gives him in the middle of the movie where it's like the you'll never let anybody tell you you don't belong and that you're not supposed to be there. And it's exactly word almost word for word what Miguel then spits back to Miles on the opposite front of like you don't belong here you were just meant, you know you were meant to be uh or you're an aberration which so cool little thing right but like um somebody put together on YouTube a little video about some of the stuff that they've noticed and it, like some of these scenes went by super quick that it's hard to pick up on some of this but Towards the beginning of the of the movie, as as this, Miles confronts the spot for the first time and he's telling him about the spider and how that got transported from another universe, you see you quickly see the uh, Miles with the dreads from the with the universe that the spider gets plucked out of, and so it just kind of got me thinking because like when when Miguel was spouting all that like. He wasn't meant to be Spider-Man thing. I was like, what? So is a version of Peter Parker on that from that original that world where the spider was from? Was he not bitten, or was there always a version of Miles that was supposed to be bitten? But that's the version that we that was basically negated those powers. I don't know. It just it just got me thinking. But like there was some little callouts in the beginning where it kind of made it like hinting as to where we were going. Yeah. Uh. But there was a lot of that throughout the whole movie, like little setups for for things that would come down the line. And what I thought was going to be the joke villain with the spot ended up becoming kind of terrifying, <laughs> you know, once he. Yeah, it's it. it's really tough to make a villain that you present originally as a heel, and just like as a you know kind of a comedy bit, turn into somebody that you actually fear. And I think they nailed that with this. Some of the Spider-Men that were introduced to, um, in particular, Hobie. You know, Sp- uh, I keep wanting to say Spider-Man UK, but it's Spider-Punk, technically. Because he's the punk rocker on there. Um, the way that his universe looked with the, like, very, like, protest art form. I don't know how to, how to say it, but, you know, it, it has that vibe of, like, the... The 1960s and 70s movements where people would put like newspaper clippings and use that on, on the little like protest pickets and all that. I thought that was so cool to see it, but it was a little hard to understand sometimes some of the dialogue that came out during that scene because it felt like the audio mixing was a little weird. I don't know if you got that. Um, yeah, he was he was tough to pick up. I think also just having like a deeper voice. It kind of got lost within that mix. Um, but I do love his character of like giving a 
teachable moment to Miles within the India scene of like use your palms and then that coming back later because he's just an agent for chaos and like he wants to see people rebel against these systems that have been built up and he even said it as they were walking in like before you enlist you know find out what you're fighting against because he doesn't want anyone to like get a raw deal or whatever so i actually really loved his character um yeah he was he was a top tier one for me and then obviously getting jake johnson back and peter b parker was yeah i loved that and and seeing him as a father you know taking lessons from the first movie and coming back to his world and and being you know having new priorities um was really cool to see yeah and all the different worlds that we got to look at uh through this lens too i thought was was really really nice gwen's world being like watercolor art and changing based on the emotions of the characters I thought that was so good. I saw a negative review about this movie pointing that out and being like it was too confusing visually. I was like, I don't know. I thought it was beautiful. Like I thought like each world kind of having its own unique little feel worked out really well for me. There was yeah, just the so only, much about this movie that was like that. The only problem that I could have with that, that I could agree, is it makes that twist where he goes where Miles goes back to the wrong world too difficult to follow because if every single spider-verse universe looks different aesthetically it's very clear that like we've entered a new universe you have lego you have watercolor you have like textured paint you have real world with andrew garfield and toby mcguire but then miles goes from his world to world 42 and it looks the same and that's really hard to track. So I get that if you're going to make them all look different, you have to make them all look different and you can't have two that look the same. Or you have them all, you have a few that look the same and a few that look drastically different um, would have been a better sprinkling in so that it's not as confusing or hard to buy into. That's true. That's true. Because I, I was scratching my head a little bit at the end there where, where he, because I was under the impression that they were in the same place and it took me more than a minute to figure out that they weren't. Yeah. I didn't get it until she like entered the room and they were already mid conversation. So like, but her outside the room looked like she was listening in. So it it was like they, they sold it too well. Yeah. Yeah. True. But that, uh, let's talk about Gwen real quick. Cause opening up with her, I thought took me, took me for surprise because we we were with her uniquely with her for a solid 20 or so minutes in the beginning which is kind of bold of them to do because obviously your title character is miles right so to start off the movie with somebody who's essentially in the in the second movie a side character over here she she definitely got the spotlight as like the secondary um character but in the first movie she definitely wasn't a secondary character um i thought that was cool i thought i thought we got more of her story kind of fleshed out and i think because they started off the movie with her piece of the story in the beginning with her dad and the conflict that cemented there because of that and the resolution we got at the end this movie felt like a self-contained story versus a part one of two 
I think had we not gotten that, it definitely would have felt like Hunger Games, whatever the heck the title was, part one, <laughs> you know? Right. Like Mock- Mockingjay 1 and 2, yeah. Was it Mockingjay? I think so. I don't know. I thought it was uh, Cap- But no, you're you're absolutely Cap- right. I And I... I was so encapsulated by the opening of this that when they finally rolled like that title credits, I was like, Oh my God, we've had like a full, like 10 minutes or 15 minutes of like just Gwen in her world. And it rocked. Like I, I love that this franchise is not solely about miles. It's called, you know, across the spider verse, all, all three of these titles are include the spider verse. It's not about one character. It's about how these characters interact. Um, obviously, you have to build up favorites to tag along with for most of it. But I, I think that she is a solid 1B to Miles 1A. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think for sure, like, the, the way that this movie treats the ensemble cast, too, is so good. <laughs> like... I, I do still think Miles is obviously like the more the main focal point for the most part, right? Because I think that's he's like the heart and soul of this franchise. But to allow the other characters to kind of get their moment and have their say in there, I think feels really well. On the point of Miles, I thought there were a couple of very unique situations in the movie that were painted out in a way that we kind of got a little bit of in the first film, but this one kind of like went even a step further. And that's the uh, inclusion and kind of like world building of who Miles is as a person and the dynamic he shares with his family. There's little thing. There was there was a couple moments, but one moment in particular when they're at the. uh, I think when when he's talking to his mom and he ends up leaving to go follow Gwen. She gives him a like blessing. Right. But in Spanish. That I've never seen any anywhere other than like in in my day to day because that's like the the Hispanic culture thing. I think like beyond like the whole beyond the Mexican experience I've seen with like Puerto Ricans, Cubans, everybody in the Latino community. That's kind of like your whenever you're saying goodbye to your parents, they give you a blessing. I've never seen that painted anywhere, and it caught me so off guard. <laughs> That I, and and like half the theater reacted to that because they're like, oh, what what's going on? <laughs> um, but it's one of those ways that they weave in those little like signature moments that kind of make it unique. But it, it's not like something where the movie's like, oh, like take a look at this. We're making this such a big deal. It just weaves it in so seamlessly. Um, that and like the the Spanglish scenes that we get here and there with the mom like going off on a rant or sound in Spanish here and there. It's such a, like, culturally, um, like, it's like a cultural signature thing that, like, people in the audience who get it, get it, but it's not something where, like, if you don't, if you don't catch it, like, you lose uh, meaning here and there. It's not. I just thought it was so unique and cool the way that they they handle that. Because there's other franchises that will pay specific attention to that and try to, like, push it out to you and be like hey look what we're doing but this it flowed so seamlessly and well that um and again it was it, it was a nice little there were nice little moments that kind of like grounded that world a little bit more i, I love to hear that that felt authentic and seen because the only person i could have relate to in this movie was miss weber 
a guidance counselor who was like, <laughs> we have to find your story. And then comes up with this, like, you're this troubled immigrant who has no money. Like, that's not our story at all. You're projecting. <laughs> so, no, I I loved, like, seeing those scenes and, and you know, getting to be in the block party for his his promotion and, and getting to be, like, within those conversations between mother father and son like and it felt authentic to me without ever being in those so it's really cool to hear that like it it resonated with you what did you think about um as far as miles goes i feel like his plot really picked up once he decided to like obviously he had the whole interaction with the spot and he had this whole like the pressures of college and you know in that scene with Miss Weber describing what he wants to do and kind of having that moment with his parents of what I want to do might take me away from you. And that kind of launched all those into those speeches of like, Hey, we might be losing our kid, but that doesn't mean he's lost to us. Um, I, I feel like most of his progression though, starts once he decides to follow Gwen into the spider verse. Um, what did you what think you about there? like, what he did follow Gwen into the spider verse across it maybe mm, one would he, say he also went across it yes <laughs> um <laughs> what did you think about like his time there like did, i don't know i don't know if there's a, even a good question in there but i i feel like you started talking about it with this relating it to the speech that his mom gave versus the speech that Miguel gave. Yeah, I think the the whole movie seemed to be about like, uh, obviously, kind of like finding your footing, but also like the sense of belonging, in a way, right? And I guess like going whether or not you're going to take ownership, I guess, of what you want to become, in in a way. Like, there's a whole a couple running themes on here because I think ultimately. Miles is presented as a very unique Spider-Man because, again, he wasn't meant to be. And for for a bit, like I said, while I was watching the movie, I was like, but does it mean that a version of Peter out there didn't get bitten because that spider went to Miles? And it turns out, no. The, it was That spider was meant to bite another Miles who we get to meet at the end of this movie. Uh, which I think parallels a lot to the first film when... Especially, I think that the heart of this movie and the heart of the last movie is that relationship he has with his parents, in particular his father. And I thought the it's it's a great little callback because there's a scene in the last film where I think they're in the I think it's when he's dropping him off at school where he talks to him about his uncle and him not wanting to go, not wanting Miles to go down the same path as his uncle, which is exactly what alternate universe Miles ended up doing. And it seems like, again, canon event here, but Miles' dad dies, is meant to die. And that becomes a big event for Miles, um, which kind of pushes him to become one person or another. And it seems like, I guess it's it's like that. that's, that's the ultimate shakeup moment for him. That's the Uncle Ben moment, which I thought we got because his uncle dies in the first film. But then, like, there's so many versions of Miles' story, 
even though he has such a short history in the comics. In some in some uh, comics, his mother gets killed. In others, it's his dad that gets killed. In the video game, I think it's his dad that gets killed too. Either way, his uncle dies in all of them. <laughs> That's why I'm like, okay, well, what 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 specifically would be the kind of event? And then it's revealed that it's his dad is basically likely to die in some sort of conflict. So at the heart of everything, I think is that dynamic because I think ultimately it's his dad that kind of guides those principles that he has uh, and the way that he kind of cements himself in the world, right? Like the, the values and all that. We've seen them be in conflict in the first film. We see them again in conflict in this film. But I think there's a very cool little story here about the importance, I guess, of, of, of fatherhood in particular for him. Yeah, I think you I think you touched on it there that like he is as probably most kids are impressionable to whatever it, it's nature and nurture, right? Like you're gonna be raised to be whoever is raising you. Right. So if it's his dad in his universe, he's being raised to like not necessarily follow the law, but do good for other citizens in the alternate universe his father's gone and he's raised by his uncle who has a tendency to lean towards, you know, that villain life um, to make money. And you, you see how like that path for miles works. Um, the thing that interested me most within that spider verse area is like, I guess the hypocrisy of how they talk to him, where he's like, Miguel is telling him that, you're an outlier wherever you go. You should never have existed. And he's so certain about that because that spider was never intended for him. Okay, that's, I get that logic. But then to tell him that, like, you can't change canon events in your world doesn't make sense because he's already a canon event. Like, he already is that thing that doesn't make sense in that world. So if he makes more changes, what does it matter? <laughs> like, that's the thing I didn't understand. Um, where either I'm thinking too deep on that and I've just gone like full circle mode, or, um, or they've, you know, they've never run into it and they haven't had to consider that either. No, I think, I think you're on, you're on the right track there in terms of like some of the things that I think were left unanswered. And, and it, ties back into the whole like i felt like miguel was holding something back like something like he's, he's up to something because yeah i took it to mean the same thing like why is it such a big deal that he wants to save his dad when he technically already he himself is the biggest like contradiction to canon in that world according to the uh algorithm or whatever they're using to detect that um yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think that part of the, I think part of the thing about this movie too is like the, it's like nature versus nurture in a way. Really, you have you have structures to the universe and things are supposed to go a certain way, but I think it's not so much like that things need to happen, but it's more so like the reaction to that event, is what solidifies it, and I think that might be what we lead into for the next one because i couldn't tell if saving the captain was really the in in the uh in mumbatan i think 
I took it to mean that because the spot is becoming this really dangerous person that was just there, I thought that was his doing, the unraveling of that world. Whereas, you know, saving the captain, is that really going to unravel the world itself in? Or is it a consequence of this new bad guy that's forming? Yeah, that's a really interesting dynamic to consider. Because I, I, I totally agree. I'm like, well, the spot created this. So maybe it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where like that chain of events had to happen and Miles stopped it and created a black hole of events. I thought this was a very cool way to continue the story of Miles here because yeah. similar to how he's being talked to and kind of like treated by some of the other the other Spider-Men. I found it kind of um, ironic because, like, so as, like, a comic book reader back when, I think it was, like, 2015, 2014, when they killed off the Ultimate Comics version of Peter Parker, which up to that point, by the way, had been, like, the longest-running Spider-Man series and the most popular in modern history. They kill off Peter Parker, and they, re- they replace him with Miles after a couple of issues. And the uproar of that was like pretty pretty heavy like a lot of fans were like this is we don't want a replacement for peter this isn't the same we don't want this character like a lot of people not even giving it a shot they're like no like why are you doing this and so i thought it was cool that like in this story we're kind of going in a really kind of similar fashion towards that step um but I, I thought that, the yeah, there's a lot of things that I have questions on on here. Because technically, like you said, Miles is the ultimate um, kind of like Uno reverse card of, of the of that canon event. The other thing, too, is like and somebody called this out. When he meets Peter B. Parker in the first Into the Spider-Verse movie, the Spider-Sense thing that goes off on him, I think he's like on a purple and green background like when his spider sense goes off the bat his the background yeah, the wavelength thing yeah yeah and towards the end of the movie it starts becoming red and blue the way that peter's was in the beginning of the movie and just kind of like a visual thing and it makes me wonder if this is a story that's been planned all along because that purple and green are the prowler colors and in this movie it's revealed that technically the that universe's miles that didn't get bitten is now the Prowler. I don't know. It, it, it makes me makes me wonder like how well planned this whole thing is too. Like, because it sounds like there's been a lot of visual cues to things. But like, I just I just like the way that they they're weaving all this together for us. Yeah, I absolutely love this, and um, I think the thing that like you and I both connected on right after saying that we both watched it was we weren't expecting a cliffhanger. And I think the thing that we've worked our way through on this recording is that we're okay with it because it felt like this was a complete movie, not just a setup movie. Um, That being said though, why don't we start talking about what our hopes are or or maybe predictions are for the next movie? Yeah. um, I hope Post Malone comes back and does another song. (laughs) Obviously. Don't get me wrong. This soundtrack is also pretty good. Yeah, this was this was really that. That's the thing about this. It's like it it 
kept up step for step with the first movie to me where it's like i almost don't want to have to rank this trilogy within itself i'm cool with ranking it against other trilogies but these <laughs> yeah. two episodes these two movies have been so like strong entries the last movie was released the fall of the same year that black panther came out and those two movies had the best soundtracks of any superhero movie i'd seen up to that point and I'm just so glad to see that those two franchises are still doing that. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like a lot of the Marvel stuff feels cookie cutter sometimes. Yep. Like the only unique sound that I like if if I if we start talking Avengers, right? You hear the Avengers jingle or the theme, right? But if I'm like, hey, what's Tony Stark's theme? I don't know. <laughs> it's an ACDC it's like, song, I think. It's ACDC or it's like metal clanging to start a John Williams type track. Yeah. But if like, but you no, you're absolutely Miles right. Morales, like it's sunflower. You're absolutely right. It's it. This movie and black Panther had actual artists record a song written for this. It's like the only other thing that does that is like James Bond, right? Like, yeah, it, it's no other Marvel movie had that treatment. They always just picked like, like Captain Marvel picked a bunch of 80s songs. Like Thor did like Valhalla type Viking t- songs of like the rock ages. Yeah. None none of those wrote something specific for that for these. And it's very characters. generic. Like the the, yeah. the 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 soundtrack besides the soundtrack too like the the score has always been that way too like with Black Panther and with this. And I think yeah. it helps to kind of like because music, I feel like, is a very integral integral part of these types of movies. Like I can absolutely, I I can't name the the names of the pieces, right? But I can probably hum along like ten different Star Wars tracks, you know, because right. they're, they're so iconic. But I can't really do that with a lot of other movies today. Like all, most of them seem generic. Right. Absolutely. Um. As far as like, maybe like, what do you hope to see in the, in the next one? Do you have any predictions or? Um, I hope to see a further fleshed out Spider-Man 2099. You know, get us something Miguel. where, yeah. yeah, like give us some more fleshed out story for Miguel. He's and... got a dang Fortnite character. He needs yeah. more background story. By the way, one of the best Spider-Man skins in the <laughs> in the Fortnite uh, universe. There. <laughs> Did you see that other one that was in Fortnite? Of like. Not the first Spider-Man, but it was like a random release. Oh, like the the armored one? Uh, I don't know if he was armored. Maybe he was. He's got like light armor on, but like... It looks yeah, he looked a lot like Miguel's coloring, just not electronic at all. Yeah. I, th- I, I think actually I turned to the person next to me, I was like, it's that guy from Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they released the actual skins for these, because... Yeah. These are some of the more unique designs I've seen. Although that price is a little high. For the two I know. Guys. I'm not. I didn't. I didn't buy it. I had to because. Because you know. <laughs> you have a I'm a sucker. No, I, I totally agree. I think I want to see more Miguel background story, and then obviously this is the hunt down between like which party, hunting party, gets to Miles first. Is it Miguel's team, or is it uh, Gwen's team, and? Is Miguel's team entirely with him? Because I feel like his main sidekick is starting to question, like, are they on the good side or bad side now? 
I also saw that the original cast is back with with Gwen, right? So we have Penny Parker there. We have um, we have the Spider Man Noir, the one by Nicolas Cage. I was the so Cage? bummed. I was so bummed that we didn't get to see him in this movie until the end. And I'm like, yes, all right, I want that, especially since they're m- making a Amazon series on Spider Man Noir. Was Mulaney there? I didn't. I don't remember seeing him. Um, the pig, right? Spider Ham. Yes, but the pig. Yeah, he he was there. Can you float through the air? Would you smell a delicious pie? <laughs> <laughs> One of the most underrated lines of the first movie. <laughs> he was there. He was on the rooftop when they're assembling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I love seeing the original cast with Gwen. That like they all sided with her to go help him. And then. Not a prediction or anything, right? Because I have have no idea how they're going to take it. But this is the Sony franchise, right? So this is is the one franchise that Sony's done with Spider-Man where I feel like they're hitting their peak here and demonstrating that they don't necessarily need to collaborate with the MCU all the time. That being said, I want a proper Tom Holland cameo in part two. Because the more I thought about it, and I'm like, out of all the Spider-Man that we've had, the ones that definitely would probably side with Miles are probably the live-action ones we've seen up to this point. Tom yeah. Holland, Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man, and Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. Well, we got clips of them in this from their their movies. I swore I saw, I heard Tom Holland's voice for one second. If not, maybe I'm just hallucinating. But uh, you're absolutely right. Like the, the opportunity is there. They also talked about Tom Holland's universe with Doctor Strange. So, like, yeah, <laughs> the overlap is is there. And I think fans would love to see that. Um, here's here's a question for you that I'm I've been thinking about. Yeah. Do you think. Our miles is going to have to defeat the alternate miles, the Prowler miles, like defeat as in probably kill him. Um, I don't think so. I think they're probably going to end up teaming up together for some reason or another. You think he can turn them good? I think so. I think the whole point of the movies have been like you, you know, you're the you're choosing your own destiny, right? So you're choosing your own actions. So I kind of feel like that's what it Miles is kind of been. Like some of the some of these guys have been raised to be the person that they are. Like that's they haven't true. chosen it. That that, is that's true, what's so like, interesting about this like nature nurture thing that you talked about yeah. before. It's like some of these characters are like their nature was that they got different powers than each other. Their nurture was that like they all chose to be go to like tend towards the good side. This other Miles is like the most interesting character because you take someone who had the potential to be good and just turn him bad. What's well, like an evil Peter Parker too, right? Like, because that's the thing. I feel yep. like the the defining thing for uh, where the heck did I read this? Because there was there was a little blurb by Stanley, like a little while ago, regarding Spider Man, uh, about how the definition of what it means to be a hero for Spider Man is not necessarily that tragedy happened to you, but rather what you do as a result of it. And so I think that that's the, I think ultimately that kind of 
message is what's going to reverberate here because I feel like Miles has kind of been the catalyst for a lot of these other characters to change their mind mm. on, and, and question things. And so I feel like naturally that should also apply to his doppelganger, essentially. I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that's what that's what we're about to see. I could be wrong. I mean, honestly, I would I would prefer to see a Miles versus Miles brawl. <laughs> but that's like that's the me that is interested in seeing who would win, <laughs> you know, like Yeah, and I think I I see at least a fight happening. But Yeah. I think ultimately the thing that might drive it is the thing that the other Miles brushed off where the topic of the father might be killed. And he's like, that's your father, not mine. I think that might become a bigger motivation for Prowler Miles to come to the good side and say, let me let me not just like fight against you, let me fight for you. Yeah, that could be the, 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 the thing that convinces it. Because you do see that graffiti work that I think was done either by Miles or his uncle honoring the the his slain father whoever did it had the same taste as our miles's world rest in power with just the picture same font same handwriting (laughs) i still don't know how anybody that does like graffiti work is able to do stuff like that because some of the murals i've been seeing around new york city i'm like i don't even know like i can't even paint a stick figure well (laughs) it's not only that it's also like you do the entire side of a building how do you reach that stuff (laughs) By risking your life, apparently. I, I remember Spidey powers. <laughs> I remember when I was living in Jackson Heights as a kid, I'd ride the seven train line, and if you're riding it at night, you could see people hanging off of these buildings, spray painting. But wow. that's dedication. Like I, I could never. I'm not anywhere close to being that daredevilish in my own. Oh, daredevil in this maybe. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Here, here's something before we before we like wrap up our thoughts on this. Sorry, um, we're wrapped up. Oh no! <laughs> Sorry, we wrapped up a while ago. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> a- a- Amy Pascal, who's the executive producer for these films uh, on Sony's part, uh, obviously uh, has. Um, I think she had, she confirmed at the red carpet that this is. Um, you know, obviously, they're working on the third one. The third one will be coming out by next year. But she also confirmed that we they are looking into bringing Miles into the into the live action universe. Hello. If they do that, my question to you: Would you prefer that they get that he gets introduced alongside MCU Peter Parker, or would you rather he be on his own standalone franchise outside of the MCU? That's a tough one. I th- I'd be okay with him on his own. I think he has enough history with this show or with this movie, these movies, that he can stand on his own. If he didn't have a trilogy, I think he would have to be introduced through like Tom Holland's breaking of the multiverse. But I think he has enough to stand alone, and I don't think I need to... Honestly, the, the Spider-Man Holland trilogy is probably one of my favorite trilogies of all time i'm okay with not getting any more we definitely are <laughs> just i know but like just speaking about it but yeah only because it makes so much money but like i'm okay yeah. store like narrative wise that we don't get any more he becomes adult spider-man and like there's a reason you don't want to see 
those stories that Andrew Garfield and Tom Hall and um, Toby Maguire are telling in far from home or no way home. Sorry. Like there's a reason you don't care to see him like Garfield, not pulling his punches or Toby figuring out his relationship with MJ. It's like, it gets old after a while. Like we had, like we want to see those formative years of gaining your power and learning how to deal with that responsibility. We don't want to see that you have figured that out. I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of disagree with that because of one big thing. Well, I then forget a... you. <laughs> We're, <laughs> Sorry, done. Go ahead. We're done. We're <laughs> done. No, I always thought um, Tom Holland's Peter Parker for the three MCU movies was the perfect Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, like original Spider-Man. Uh, because like for, for anybody that's been into the comics, the, one of the things that I think people forget a lot is the big meat of the stories that we know Spider-Man for don't happen to him in high school. They happen to him in college. So like college is when stuff hits the fan and like he ultimately goes on this, uh, on these like more significant big stories that we see and we recognize him from the comics, like the Venom stuff, the, uh, the stuff with Craven the Hunter, the Doc Ock story, the Green Goblin story, all that happens in college. Very little of it happens in high school. Well, make um, that a series. Don't make that three more movies that come I would out agree every with that. four years. I would agree with that because there's a lot to tell. But the thing is, like, I feel like in the movie format, it gets old for sure. Like, if you yeah. if you don't come up with an innovative way to do it, it can get really old. And you're waiting so many years to see a story that can potentially be a retelling of something you've already seen. Yeah, exactly. That, if I have to wait two years to see a two-hour movie of that something said, that I kind of get, I don't need to see it. That said, one thing I do want to just kind of bring to your attention that I was so I was watching No Way Home in Spanish dub over Christmas break. All um, right. Which I have a Christmas break, which is exciting. <laughs> um, in, I get that in one June. No, no, in, in, in December. Um, but I was rewatching it dur- during the holidays. And there's something I, I, I wanted to bring up before, but I think this is the right space to do it. Um, if you watch No Way Home dubbed in any other language but English, when he goes into that apartment and he's, like, setting up his, you know, his new life, you can hear chatter from his neighbors. In the English version, it's almost, like, way too far off in the distance that you can barely hear it. The music kind of I don't know. Actually, I haven't I haven't seen it with subtitles. Do your homework before you bring this groundbreaking. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. But if in in Spanish and Portuguese, and I think I was searching this other thing that said that supposedly like in in Mandarin also, um, you can hear the neighbors like a little bit more audibly. And if you turn on subtitles for those dubs, there's somebody telling Miles to go to bed. And so I was like, all right, well, that might have been a hint that they just kind of stealthily deleted off of the English version of this uh, of the movie. Yeah, you definitely don't hear it in English. I, I, I'm, I will do the homework and rewatch it with subtitles. That's on do me. it, do it. <laughs> but no, they also introduced um, that. I always want to say Donald Glover, but that's not right, is it? Yeah, Donald Glover. Yeah, his character who would have been. Prowler and Miles' uncle in the first, in Homecoming. Yep. So, it's not insane to say that this world could be that same animated world. 
I would love it to be standalone, though, to be honest. Like, I'll agree with you, because I, yeah. I think if they want to tie anything into it, I would kill off Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and have Jeez, him be man. that. <laughs> That's, like, an integral part of Miles' story, like the death of a Spider-Man, so that he rises to the occasion. So, kill off Toby. He's old. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, okay. And on that cheerful note, why don't we get out of the booth? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no, but seriously, I think uh, I think there's so much more on this movie we could talk about. I mean, if you want to go see 300 Easter eggs, go to YouTube. Um, we covered the, the most of it, though. We can leave it on a cliffhanger right here, too. It'll be absolutely it'll, it'll be very, very appropriate. So, and we'll with come that, back with more thoughts. <laughs> thanks for listening.